Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Pod. I think I've I've decided I'm going to start calling it The Pod. Okay. Okay. (laughs) To the podcast, the Parental Development Podcast. Thank you for joining us again. We are going to... Dive right into this episode, and Leah's about to get all nerdy on it, nerdy with it, get her nerd on, however you want to think about it. We're going to dive, yeah, (laughs) all of the above. We're going to dive right into the science behind why Leah is a proponent of the gentle, patient, calm parenting approach, and... I hope that by hearing the science behind it, it puts a little more weight behind it because it's not just, I don't know, how would you, it's not just how would you think some people view that. I don't want to be mean to my kids. Or, like, I don't want to tell them no. I don't know how some people might view that. Yeah, I don't know. In my simplistic mind, I just think like, once people hear the science, everybody will be on board. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're doubting up until this point, you just need a little science. You just need a little data. Right. And then everybody will think like, yes, sign me up for that. <laughs> I understand that that is uh, a naive <laughs> way Probably of Probably not going to happen, but nonetheless. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I, I would be interested, and we've talked about this a little bit, once we present the science to really get feedback on like if people are still like, no, that is not for me. I would just be so interested to hear that or have a conversation or understand understand the the argument against mm-hmm. once in addition to kind of everything we've talked about up to this point, when they're the actual brain science is presented, like mm-hmm. what those arguments would be. I'd be interested in that. Right. So even after we go through this episode and we hear the science data, all of that. If you still can't buy in, even partly, I guess, we would love to hear feedback. We always love to hear your feedback, but we are go- there's a lot. I think everybody put your thinking caps on and we're going to dive right in. And I, I may not interrupt at all. I may just <laughs> sit enthralled at <laughs> everything you have to say today. But, that. So take it away, drum roll. Let's do it. (laughs) So disclaimer, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a brain scientist. (laughs) I'm not even the real kind of doctor. So (laughs) what does that mean? (laughs) That's what I say all the time. I'm like, no, no, I'm not the real kind of doctor. I'm the other kind. (laughs) So I've been practicing this kind of parenting for, I don't know, seven, eight years. But the neuroscience part of it is something that I have really, I mean, I'm, I've always been a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff, but I've just over the last probably two years, year and a half to two years, really dove into the actual science. So I'm not an expert in explaining it. So I'm going to do my best. And 
knowing that this is not like all this information in one place. This is coming from a lot of different Mm -hmm. researchers, a lot of different theories, a lot of different information. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying, this is the first episode I've ever prepared for (laughs) (laughs) that I've ever even had to think or like make notes of what I'm going to (laughs) say, because I'm trying to distill all of this information in a way that is digestible Mm -hmm. and knowing it can't be too scientific because I can't talk that way if I try to. <laughs> so I'm going to try real hard to make it digestible. And if we have to like go to a second episode, we might have to do that. But uh, just wanting those disclaimers of it, it can be confusing. And so I'm, I'm going to do my best to kind of pull it all together. Okay. So that being said, I want to first ask, I, I've said all along, that my goal in parenting, my focus is always to get to the root of the behavior. Right. And really having an understanding that behavior is just what we are seeing that gives us information about what is going on internally in our kids. So I think of it as like an iceberg. Okay. That the behavior is the the part of the iceberg that's above the water. Mm-hmm. And I really am trying to figure out what is underneath that because mm-hmm. that's what I believe about behavior that it's just a symptom. And so that's kind of the foundation of what we're going to go into. So, Becca, yes. did you know <laughs> that we have at least eight sensory systems in our body? I did not know that. What are you know, those? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part where, you know, I don't know, this stuff is becoming so mainstream in my field, in the psychology and mental health field. And Anybody who works in a field learns so right. much that they forget what how they learned it or when they knew yeah. it or and assume everybody and else knows that, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, forget that other people don't maybe don't know that. So we were always taught we you have five senses, right? Right. Five. Yeah. And that's that's not true anymore. Oh. <laughs> we now know we have more than 8. Mm. But there's eight kind of main ones. So the five we all know. I'm not going to go through those. The three additional ones are your vestibular system. It's like your movement, moving your body. Your proprioceptive system. That is like where your body is in space. Okay. So kids, people who are clumsy, people who have balance issues, many times their proprioceptive system is off. Mm -hmm. And then there is an interoceptive system. And that's one of the main ones we're going to talk about as it relates to this discussion. Mm -hmm. So our sensory systems are designed, right? They're processing information. They're processing sensory information. And there's information coming from both inside and outside our bodies Mm -hmm. at all times. Our interoceptive system is the system that is getting information from inside our bodies. And so one of the people I have learned from over the last couple of years is Lisa Dion. And so she identifies this system as the how do we know sense? How do we know? Okay. So for things that are internal, how do we know we're hungry? How do mm. we know we're tired? How do we know we're cold? Mm-hmm. How do we know we're angry? That is all run through this interoceptive sensory system. Okay. Okay. 
So this is true of all of us, that we have this interoceptive system that has to be developed, recognized, paid attention to, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it requires a connection to your body. And I would argue that's something that our society is not very good at, Mm. of of connecting with my body, particularly because we're so busy, we're flying from one thing to the next. We don't have, a lot of us as adults, we don't have an awareness of, huh, what is, what is that feeling? Like, mm. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Other than the big ones, right? Like, when do you need to use the bathroom? All those right. things. But that idea of, and I think we talked about this in one of the, the earlier episodes of the interoception of how do I know I'm anxious? Mm-hmm. What does that feel like? For me, it I can feel it in my stomach and in mm-hmm. my chest. Right. That is an interoceptive process. That is something just like all of the other senses that have to be developed. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk about interoception a little bit. But part of what we've talked about over the last few weeks is helping kids connect with their bodies, which we're not very good at. Mm -hmm. Because in order to manage your body, you have to pay attention to what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's one thing. Okay. <laughs> Check. Check that off the list. The how do I know system. Got it. How do we know? And that you have eight sensory right. systems. Right. I mean. It's not just five. Nope. Miss nope. Chapman lied to me. <laughs> that, well, that might have been all we knew about back then. Don't you blame Miss mm. Chapman. <laughs> so the next, the next piece I want to talk about is this idea of regulation, which we have talked about ad nauseum probably yes. over every episode comes up with regulation. And I've kind of hinted at this, I think, but what we know from research is that regulation, regulatory system is present in our brains all along. So here's my next question. Is it common knowledge, because I truly don't know, or do you know, that Like when we're born, there are like billions of neurons in our brain and that just aren't connected Mm -hmm. and that those neurons fire and connect based on experiences and that if certain neurons don't fire and connect, our brains go through a process called pruning that then like prunes away, if you think about like pruning a a tree Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. it prunes away all of those neurons that don't get used and they die die out basically Mm -hmm. and and that that is how our brain develops is but purely by experiences it's an experiential process did you know that uh no not not explained that way i guess no i would no okay but i have a question real quick on that because so does that mean that that some your brain could prune off neurons that you really need that Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the so one of the um one of the biggest most significant like research that's been done in this is like if like vision is one of those. Mm-hmm. So if like an infant you cover their eyes for long enough and don't let them open, 
they'll go blind because those the are you vision, kidding? No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> not kidding. So there are some that are if you don't use it, you lose it. Vision is one of those. So vision has a window that if those connections aren't made in your brain, you you lose that ability irreparably. Mm, like no, yeah. ain't no going back. Once they shave them off, like that's it. Right. That's yeah. kind of scary. <laughs> well, that's like, right. Like that's like worst case scenario. Right. No, no, no. About yeah. a spectrum. We are not a lot of things. I mean, vision is like a very, it's a very severe example, but yes, the rest of those, they prune away. Some of them can grow back. Some of them you can resolve uh-huh. and repair a little bit throughout life some of them though you can't okay your con your conscience is actually one of those that is like a very <laughs> severe we'd have to talk about that later because everybody yeah. probably just panicked of like i got the kid without the conscience but no <laughs> that's like very uh very deprived upbringing for years and years and years okay so if that's how neurons fire and then wire. So we mm-hmm. say neurons that fire together, wire together Okay. in our brain. And that is done through experiences. So that regulatory system, regulation is taught through attachment relationships. Mm-hmm. There's another researcher, Alan Shore. He has a paper. It's called something like the attachment system is a regulation system or regulation is something like that. I'll, I'll see if I can find it and maybe put it in the show notes for all of you who want to know that <laughs> with me and actually read the papers associated yeah. with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll put them there. Yeah. Some of you Some might. Some people might surprise themselves and be intrigued. So that that regulation happens in the context of those close relationships. So okay. example. And again, babies, infants have a regulatory system. They have the structure of a regulatory system. It is not connected yet for the most part. So this comes through infants being Mm co-regulated throughout their infancy. So, right, baby has a need, baby cries, caregiver comes in, meets the need, brings baby back to baseline, but that which is a, that's co-regulation. Mm-hmm. The, the most clear, crisp example of co-regulation is rocking a baby. Mm-hmm. That is co-regulation of why do we do that? Why do we rock? Why do we bounce them? Why do we talk to them in a, in a soothing voice and mm-hmm. that kind of thing? That is the clearest example of co-regulation that we probably have and that all of us can picture fairly easily. So just as like a side note of a soapbox I have, your babies are supposed to cry. Mm -hmm. It is the only way babies have to communicate they need something. We are the only mammal that our babies are born completely dependent on a caregiver. And Mm -hmm. our babies are dependent for much, much longer, even other animals that are dependent some for a little while. It mm-hmm. is not, it ain't 18 years mm-hmm. for anybody else. <laughs> and even eight, I mean, my eight-year-old is pretty self-sufficient. Left alone long enough, he would die. Mm-hmm. And so our our children are 100% dependent when mm. they are born. So we should respond every single time a baby cries, period. 
hard mm. stop. No, <laughs> no, let him I will cry not negotiate. It out. I will not negotiate that. Because that is the only thing they, that's the only way they have to communicate that something is wrong. Your baby does not know how to manipulate you. Mm. Your baby does not know how to trick you. Mm-hmm. They barely have a brain. <laughs> Manipulation is a high, right? That requires some brain power. Your baby doesn't have it. Your baby's not trying to manipulate you other than to get what they need. Mm-hmm. And so we, we need to respond every time our baby cries. Now, I understand, I understand there's cry it out methods. I understand there's different components of that. We could talk about that maybe a different day. What I'm saying is like, for sure, those, I mean, when I hear we're having a four, four month old cry it out, I can't, I don't, I can't go there. They just don't have any other skills and Mm -hmm. they require co-regulation in Mm -hmm. order to soothe. They just don't have those abilities. So, so anyway. Let me get back to the brain stuff. (laughs) Step out of that minefield as well. Okay, so that's how regulation begins to develop is within this attachment relationship. So baby has a need, they cry, caregiver goes in, meets the need, baby soothes. That happens, gosh, millions of times throughout their first... is Is that the fire and the wire? So I'll get to that. Hang on. Okay. So that happens over, it's a cycle, right, the, the right. attachment cycle it happens over and over and over again, particularly through that first year of life. Mm-hmm. And that is how babies start to feel and know that they are safe and secure mm-hmm. and that somebody is going to come take care of them. Right. Right. We don't have to teach babies to cry. They just know that's mm-hmm. how I'm supposed to get my needs met is to cry. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So yes, when that happens and a caregiver comes, those neurons start to wire together mm-hmm. that I cry, someone comes mm-hmm. and takes care of me and just at its core keeps me alive. Right. Because if nobody comes for mm-hmm. long enough, mm-hmm. that baby will die. Mm. 100% of the time that baby will die. So as that attachment cycle happens, we're not only wiring together that people and the world and all that stuff are safe and supportive and caring and loving and will take care of me. Mm -hmm. We're also wiring regulation. We're wiring co-regulation over and over and over and over again. And as we talked about, I don't know, a couple episodes ago, that is what sets the stage for self-regulation down the road. You Mm -hmm. have to have co-regulation before you can have self-regulation. Okay. So that's the regulation piece that comes in that is required in early, early development. What I will also say then is if as parents, we don't have a template for what that is supposed to look like because we never got it ourselves, Mm -hmm. it's very challenging for us to know how to do that. So, you know, I think that's why some of this work in this parenting practice is so difficult because we've talked about it before. It requires parents to like put a mirror up to themselves to Mm -hmm. say like, well, I don't know how to soothe the baby. Nobody ever soothed me. Right. I was on my own from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know how to talk to my kids respectfully. All I I just got spanked. I don't know how to do anything different. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you don't have a template for some of this stuff, it it's even harder and harder and harder 
to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know we've talked about at some point where we'll talk about trauma and foster care adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we've talked about wanting to do some of that. But if you have a child who had any kind of disruption, so attachment is generally developing, we say like the first three years of life, plus in utero. So really mm-hmm. the first like four years. Mm-hmm then they may have missed even the basics of co-regulation. And again, I'm still co-regulating my eight-year-old. I will still be co-regulating him when he's 14. I co-regulate my husband sometimes. Right. Like we offer, we offer co-regulation to each other all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a child that missed any of that, even in utero stuff, then they may be behind the eight ball from a regulation standpoint purely because they they missed during that kind of key period mm-hmm. of learning those basic skills. Mm-hmm. So then self-regulation is going to be even harder and harder for them. Okay, so now <laughs> I would like to layer on like what our nervous system looks like. Okay. I'm going to do my best with this. And you're going to remember like basic science class, not knowing that like, oh, that stuff actually still is relevant. <laughs> so we know we have a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system. Yes. Our sympathetic. So if you think of them as like an accelerator and a brake in mm-hmm. a car. Our sympathetic nervous system is our accelerator. Parasympathetic is our brakes. Parasympathetic Mm -hmm. calms us down. Accelerator revs us up. Okay. And so then within that nervous system, (laughs) then where I get a lot of my information and guidance is called polyvagal theory. So that's Stephen Porges. He's a, I think he's a medical doctor and he's out of Indian University, which I mean. Who, who, Hoosiers. (laughs) So. That makes me like him even more, but he (laughs) works at the Kinsey Institute there at IU. So he has come up with polyvagal theory. So I could, I could do a deep dive into polyvagal (laughs) theory, but probably nobody wants to hear that. Tread water. Tread water. I know. (laughs) I can link all the things if you want to learn about it, or if you just Google polyvagal theory, there's so much stuff out there, but we have a vagus nerve, which is a cranial nerve, uh, that runs, it's the longest nerve, cranial nerve we have runs like from our brain down to our gut. Mm -hmm. And so it is sending information up and down consistently. So another concept that comes up within polyvagal theory. So we had interoception, which is my ability to kind of internally monitor what's happening to me, the how do we know. Mm -hmm. Another concept is called neuroception. That is our brain and our body's way of assessing danger. And so what Steve Porges has found through his research is that our brains are actually scanning our external environment, mm-hmm. our internal environment, and they say between, in, out, and between, so mm-hmm. our relational mm-hmm. safety, four times every second. Mm. Think about that a minute. <laughs> That's fast. <laughs> That's fast. That's a lot. And that's this is all of us, mm-hmm. kids, adults, does not matter. Our brain is scanning to make sure we are safe four times every second. Mm. So that 
requires us, like that just means our it's always on. It's mm-hmm. always scanning for safety. So then when you start to dig in what behaviors kind of look like and why, why does this matter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As it relates to parenting, I've just spouted a bunch of theories and right. information. Really at the core of it is that safety is first. And professionally, we always say safety trumps everything. Mm-hmm. If I have a kid who's not safe, I cannot possibly start thinking about having them do schoolwork mm-hmm. or working on their other mental health needs or anything. Which safety is a perception. 100%. Right. Because I think is a perception. I think some people would say, which I don't, I mean, when you think about it, really, when you really think about it, I don't know how, this, how you have this argument, but like... They try and, I guess, devalue a kid or convince themselves that there's no reason why they would feel unsafe right now. There's no, you're fine. There's no reason for you to, that's, it's a perception in the same way that you can't tell me that I'm cold. You can't tell me that I'm not hungry. Like it's a perception, which yes, is huge. Right. To validate. It's, yep. I mean, even, right. Even as basic as when I told the story last week about Sawyer saying he was scared. To me, there was nothing scary in that movie. Right. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea why he was scared, but he was scared. Mm-hmm. And so that's a safety thing. Mm-hmm. So safety is always a perception. I was, I've, I've worked with families and some people have a really hard time with that concept because when they hear safety, all they hear or all they think about is physical safety. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And think, well, nobody, nobody was even around you. What do you mean you don't feel safe? Physical safety is a component of safety, Mm -hmm. but safety has lots of different aspects of it. Because again, if you if you think we are scanning internally, externally, and between Mm -hmm. relationally, that means there is certainly there's physical safety, there's emotional safety, there's academic safety, there's social safety, there's all kinds of things. Right? Social safety looks like. When I walk into uh, a training that I'm going to for work Mm -hmm. and I have to walk into a room of 50 other professionals, Mm -hmm. that makes me nervous Mm -hmm. because that feels socially unsafe to Mm me. Mm -hmm. That's why if I can find a friend in that Mm -hmm. audience, if I know Mm -hmm. someone is there that I know and I can go sit by them, then I don't feel as unsafe because I got my per like I'm so co-regulated. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I just have somebody to to do this with me. So you know, academic safety are kids who like refuse work, who maybe don't feel like they're smart enough to do the work, or they don't know how to ask for help, or that that can be academic safety. So the point about safety being a perception cannot be overstated. Again. If you have any kind of history of trauma, Mm -hmm. your safety meter usually is not, it's not always accurate. It's calibrated. So yeah, if, yeah, it's primed Mm -hmm. to sense danger Mm -hmm. if you've been in situations that are dangerous. So a very basic example for me, this is like, I always say it's like a little T trauma. Mm -hmm. I was bitten by a dog, what, (laughs) many years ago now, 15 years ago. Maybe more than that. That's more than that, I think. (laughs) 17 or 18 years ago, a very long time. And I developed an immediate phobia of dogs, Mm -hmm. dogs I had known my entire life, tiny dogs, big dogs. It did not matter. I had a very real, very significant fear of dogs. Mm -hmm. 
dogs that other people would have said, like, you've known them your whole life. You, they've never bitten anyone. Communicating to me that's silly that you feel unsafe. Right. I can tell you that did not matter to me. Right. <laughs> it really frustrated me to think like, I don't know. I don't want to feel this way. Like, I can't. Mm-hmm. My brain is telling me I'm unsafe. Right. Even now, I have a heightened awareness around dogs. I've had to do, truly, I've had to do a lot of work to even not like panic when I see dogs because mm-hmm. they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> dogs are very uh, <laughs> present in our world. So I was tired of going through life just scared all the time. But mm-hmm. I still am very aware if I hear a dog bark mm-hmm. or if I hear a dog coming up behind me. I have a very heightened response to that. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is a fairly small response or, or fairly small event mm-hmm. being bitten by a dog. But I can tell you in my scanning, my brain scanning, the sound of that dog barking te- sends off alarm signals to me in mm-hmm. my brain that I'm not I'm not safe. So and you have no control of, over. <laughs> no. It just happens. No, right. It just happens. I have zero control over it. Right. I have I have more ability to manage it now than right. I did before. Because before I could not go near them. I couldn't get out of the car if they were there. I would hightail it the other direction if I saw one. So I'm better able to manage it now, mm-hmm. which BT dubs is interoception, <laughs> right? Like I can now tell like, oh, I got that thing because, oh, that must be because that dog barked. Right. That requires an attunement with myself mm-hmm. to then to then regulate myself. Mm-hmm. And to know, like, okay, what do I need to do to get calm right? or to get to a regulated state requires me to kind of be attuned to that. So safety trumps everything. It is we have to feel safe before anything else can happen. Mm-hmm. And again, that's internal, external, and between. So a lot of times what I think about when I'm thinking about safety as it relates to parenting, A... I think it's hard to say that parents are regulated if they are screaming or yelling at their kids. Mm-hmm. I think it would be hard to say parents are regulated if they're spanking or hitting their kids. Mm-hmm. And so if in those moments, what I think parents would say who use those methods is we're trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. But knowing that your kid's brain is scanning for safety four times every second mm. And we know learning requires your frontal lobe to be online. Mm-hmm. We, we just know that. I don't know how you get there in saying that because you you are by definition a threat to your child's brain mm-hmm. in those moments, mm-hmm. right? Someone's screaming at you, your brain, your neuroception is going to say like, mm, there's a danger, there's mm-hmm. a danger, there's a danger. You being hit. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. That's unsafe. And so to then tack on to that, that that implies learning Mm -hmm. from a brain perspective just does not jive. It just, I cannot, I can't get there. So when we talk about why this matters from parenting at at the core, it's like ultimately that safety component Mm-hmm. is the first rung of the ladder for me. Mm-hmm. You look like you had something you wanted to say. Well, no, I'm. when you explain it that way, 
I don't know how you could argue against that because even though I guess some people might make the argument that, and this sounds asinine when I say it out loud, but I think that this is maybe how we try and rationalize it sometimes, and I could be totally wrong, but you would say, oh, it's my kid. They know I'm not. They know. They know, like, they're safe with me, or they know. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. You somehow would convince yourself because you're not going to convince them because they have no control over the res- response that their brain has to to danger or mm-hmm. being yelled at or whatever. They you're not going to convince them that they're safe because you're yelling at them. And even now as an adult, if someone gets in my face and yells at me, I feel some type of way. Like right. or you know, uh, so I mean, I would be interested to hear if people actually sit and think about everything you've set up until this point, the science behind it, and then explained that way, like safety being first and how can you, how can you logically make an argument that that is teaching them? I don't know. Right. I would be curious as well because I don't, I told you that's where I end up. Is, I don't know. What do you say to that? I don't because the other the other thing is if if you go back to thinking, neurons that wire together or fire together wire together. Mm-hmm. They get like wired. So from a therapeutic standpoint, right? Because I'm a psychologist, therapy is unwiring right neural pathways. Mm-hmm. I have to unwire that, and I have to wire it with a different experience. Give me an example of that in a an older like something that wired together as if you can think of one. Something that wired together in infancy or you know childhood that yeah. ha- you have had to work as a therapist to unwire in, in an adult or a teen or something like that. I mean I could I think yeah. we can always probably think of personal examples but I want you to get like a clinical example of that. Yeah, I've, I mean, there's so, so many of them. The one that comes to mind the most is different people who anytime during childhood, if they got mad, they got hit. Mm. When they got angry, they got hit. And that wired together. If I get mad, I get hurt. Mm. And so what, what your brain does is like, well, don't do that. So they get to therapy. They don't know how to be angry. They do not allow themselves to express anger mm. because it, that feels so unsafe. And so when I say something like, man, I bet that makes you angry. No, no, does not make me angry. Okay. And so then we have to talk about how can you be angry? Mm-hmm. And someone in your environment can prove to you that you can be angry now and you're not going to get hurt. Mm. But if you think of how hard that is for your mm-hmm. nervous system to let go of that mm. because no, your brain is designed to protect you. Mm-hmm. And so I've had some people that they dis- they dissociate, they check out when they start to get angry because it's so scary. It's so overwhelming. Their brain just kind of shuts down. Mm. So that's a very, those have been pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have to do with emotional expression. Right. I can't be sad. Mm-hmm. Because I used to get in trouble for being sad or mm-hmm. any of those kinds of things. So they come in to me and those neural pathways are so strong because it happened every single time. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that we have to first undo them, mm-hmm. convince them to express anger. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's with me in therapy. Get angry at me. Mm-hmm. And I am going to give you therapeutically what we call a corrective experience. Mm-hmm. And I am going to demonstrate to you that you can be angry. I will not hurt you. Mm. Now, that's one time. Right. And that does not do it. That doesn't do it. It takes a lot of work because depending on how many times that happened, Mm -hmm. that neural pathway is stronger and stronger and stronger. Right. Right. So it takes longer and longer to undo it Mm -hmm. and then to correct it. So then I have to attach anger with something else. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if we are teaching our kids through our, air quotes, discipline, our consequences, our punishment, Mm -hmm. you get a bad grade, you get hit, you get a spanking, you get hit, Mm -hmm. and that wires and wires and wires and wires. Then you get kids who are petrified of failure, Mm. petrified because it's unsafe. It's Mm -hmm. unsafe to fail. Mm. I was talking to someone recently where I was talking about, you know, just making decisions and like business and leadership and supervision and how you do that. And I said, well, I don't know if it, if I make the wrong call, I just undo it. I just say like, well, that didn't work. We'll try something else. And there are people, right, who, and we had this discussion of, I don't consciously remember this, but I must have gotten good messages throughout my childhood about making mistakes. Mm-hmm. I must have had space to make mistakes, been told it was okay, mm-hmm. and had help in learning how to do that. The person I was talking to had not had those experiences. Mm. Their experiences had been, you make a mistake, you just ruined everything, and you ruined it for everybody, mm. and we cannot come back from that. And we talked about how that happened over and over and over to this person, and now they are they struggle significantly to make the most basic decisions in adulthood Mm -hmm. because of the fear that something bad is going to happen or they're going to wreck it or they're, they're a true failure. An unconscious fear. Oh, unconscious. You know, and, and part of that work, right. And we were just having a conversation, but part of that work is that awareness of like, Mm -hmm. well, hell, that I want that (laughs) crap. (laughs) That's where that comes from. Those are neurons that wired and fired together. Mm-hmm. And so now we have to figure out how do, how do we undo that? Mm. So all I'm trying to do, and again, as I've said, my kids will have other neurons that fire and wire that they will have to undo as they get older because they're not going to like how that happened. That's just part of it. Nobody's perfect. We're, you know, right. we're all doing the best we can. But I don't want, when we talk about like their emotional expression, their communication, how they feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't want that wired with anything other than acceptance and validation and support and help. Yeah, I see no down. I see no downside to that. Well, I know you don't. That's why you're here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't think anybody. I honestly, if you say that, I feel like you would be hard pressed to find anybody to argue with that. Like, I want my kids to but they're out there. Well, I know, but it's like, I don't see a downside to that. And I, again, I would, I would be curious to see if an opposing argument could be made because I, I don't, I don't really see that, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I mean, if you're out there, let us know. (laughs) I'd be, I'd love to have a conversation (laughs) with you. Yeah. Because the other, the other side of this is like, we have safety And then from like a, 
again, if we go back to the neuroscience, connection is the other component. So Steve Porges, again, polyvagal theory, his quote is, connection is a biological imperative. Mm. We are designed for connection. It is a biological imperative. It is a Mm -hmm. non-negotiable, which if you, when I think of it, you know, we're recording November of 2021. We're almost two years into a pandemic Mm -hmm. where the thing most of us lost, right? Like overnight was connection. I lost my people. Mm -hmm. I lost my connection with Mm -hmm. my world. Mm -hmm. And how many of us really struggled during that time and many who are continuing to struggle. Yeah. Because we don't have alternative ways to connect with people. Right. And so knowing that that's a biological imperative, many of our kids' behaviors come from a lack of connection or not feeling connected. And so Dan Siegel's work in in the No Drama Discipline book, from a discipline perspective, always talks about connect and then redirect. Mm -hmm. Because our kids cannot... In my mind, they really can't feel safe or regulated if they're not connected. Right. I was going to say those have to be those have to be tied together because you can't have you really can't have one without the other. Right. And so that's that between scanning. Mm -hmm. Right. The connection is the between scanning Mm -hmm. of are you connected? Do you see me? And, you know, I've talked I think I talked in one of the first couple episodes about many times for my kids, their behavior often comes from a lack of connection. And I know it, but I only know it after the fact. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, if we have a super uh, rough night or something, usually if I look back, it's because I was checked out. I was Mm -hmm. on my phone. I got work calls. I'm stressed about something. Mm -hmm. I'm busy making dinner. And I leave them, you know, they watch TV all night because I just can't. Mm -hmm. And then we try to impose boundaries and do bedtime and that kind of stuff and they pop off to me most of the time that is a lack of connection Mm -hmm. and that is again their nervous system saying you're unsafe this (laughs) this between this between safety is not there yeah this connection is not there and so that's why i think a lot of times the um the interventions for this like discipline is that connect then redirect is that acceptance and validation which is what makes people think it's permissive, I think. Right. Because yeah. it it goes to that like, yeah, buddy, I know you're mad. I see you're upset. I know that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's it's validation and that feels permissive. Which but is really, dumb. That's dumb. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't get I can't get on board with that either. That's it. But then that to me, that's me. I'm trying to connect back with my kid. I Mm -hmm. just, if if he can connect with me, a lot of times he can, Lincoln does this a lot. And he, even just this morning, he, gosh, I don't even know what it was. We're trying to like get him to like, we, we were down to maybe like 10 or 15 minutes to get out the door. And so we were just like very calmly reminding him like, come on, buddy, you got to like get it moving. He got so mad and started like screaming and Ben and I were like, what the heck? So I just went and stood in the room and he still said, I'm mad. And I said, <laughs> I, I know, buddy. Do you want me to leave you alone? No. 
<laughs> okay. But I couldn't talk because everything I said, like, pissed right. him off. Right. So I just stood in the room and I breathed. Mm-hmm. Side note, an audible breath is, uh, when we talk about near- mirror neurons, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. symbiotic. If I take a deep breath, an audible breath, enough times, you're, you will take a breath. Mm-hmm. Your system will sync with mine. Mm-hmm. So my kids know it now and then they scream at me, I don't want to take a breath. <laughs> um, and I just say like, the breath is for me. Thank you very much. I'm just taking a breath for me. Uh. But for him, so he stayed mad and I went and sat on the couch and then he was brushing his teeth and he walked in and I just like put my arms out of like, come on. And yeah. so he came and sat on my lap and then it was like, boop, we were done. No problem the rest mm-hmm. of the time. So I I have no idea what what his system told him was unsafe mm-hmm. or unconnected in that moment. But I I know enough about him the a lot of times the minute I can reconnect with him, mm-hmm. he's able to then get it back together because his nervous system calms down then. Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of go on from there. So I think that's probably all I want to say about it today. <laughs> <laughs> I know we I mean, I hope it I hope it was clear enough and makes sense. I will do my best to put links and like digestible links yeah. in the show notes. I certainly can put some of the more scientific stuff in there if people are really interested in that. And this certainly isn't the end of this conversation, yeah. but I think it's a good uh, stop a starting point for sure. Yeah, I hope it gives people a foundation for where does this come from and then hopefully we can find those people who listen, no judgment if you think Right this is hokum but truly wanting to have a conversation of like help me understand that right because i would love to talk through some of that and really hear again it's one of those things where like i don't know i've lost sight of what the arguments against it could be because it's just become something that's so ingrained in who i am as a human right that i have a hard time even right. a lot of times i can argue both sides of something mm-hmm. i have a hard time with this one and so if someone could argue the other side with me that'd be i'd i'd welcome that because i think that's i think that's how we learn and how we grow and get more information so yep all right well we're gonna wrap this one up again we would always love to hear your feedback but specifically on this one if there's anything that struck a nerve no pun intended a vegas nerve (laughs) one might say (laughs) but there's my drum roll again Okay, so I guess we will wrap it up and we will catch you guys on the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.